Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Um, in our portion, Moshe's life is almost over, and he's assembled the people one last time, and he's giving them final admonishments. He actually prophesies of their disobedience and their subsequent punishment of being scattered among the nations. And the portion we read out of Nitzavim, which means you are standing, tells them how to end their banishment. So it's prophesied that they would disobey, serve idols, and be scattered, be kicked out of the land of Israel, and that while they are out among the nations, they would repent and they would come back. And that is how their banishment from the land would end. Um, I think statistically, I haven't checked in the last year or so, but I think statistically still, most Jews live outside the land of Israel. All right? A lot of people think that, that 1947 is the beginning of the end time clock. It has something to do with it, but Israel is not Israel yet. And the prophecies are not being fulfilled according to scriptures yet. Because when Yeshua does a thing, he doesn't halfway do it. And only a small percentage of Israel actually lives in the land of Israel today. So all these people that are prophesying that, you know, it's the Melanie said she heard several times this week it was the Shemitah year. No, it's not. <laughs> they would like to think so. And they believe it wholeheartedly because they've been in the land since 1947 and they're counting since they got there, but there's no temple. God is not among them. All right. We read in our portion, and it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall think among, think yourself among all the nations where Yahweh, your Elohim, has driven you, and shall return unto Yahweh, your Elohim. And our Jewish people have not done that yet. The Orthodox would like to think that they are and that they represent all of Israel, but the majority of Jewish people in this world do not believe. Many of them are atheists. Very few of them have any persistency, consistency, or understanding. And fewer still, probably 0.1% of them actually believe in the Messiah. They have not repented to God yet. And to hearken to his voice according to all that I command you this day. They don't do what God commanded them 4,000 years ago. They do what the rabbis tell them today. Trust me, I'm not just going to pick on the Jewish people today. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul that then Yahweh your Elohim will turn your captivity and have compassion upon you. And will return and gather you from all the peoples where Yahweh your Elohim has scattered you. 
If any of yours that are dispersed are in the uttermost parts of heaven, only God could do that. Only God could return people to the land who are in the heavens. It's a little bit of secondary support that people are somewhere not on earth right now. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I believe, are counted in that number specifically. Are you with me? From there will Yahweh your Elohim gather you, and from there will he fetch you. And Yahweh your Elohim will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. And Yahweh your Elohim will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. That has not happened yet because even 2,000 years ago when Yeshua arrived in Israel, they weren't doing that. They weren't following God according to his word. And Yeshua was, was actually persecuted by the religious figureheads of Israel and put to death by them and the Romans and the citizenry who were rejecting his Torah and following the rabbis. It's easy for us to read that passage, though, and think it's been fulfilled already with the Babylonian exile and the return that happened back in 586 AD, or BC. In one sense, it did, but in another sense, it did not. All right? So I believe that this passage applies to the remnant in Daniel's day, but it doesn't fully apply to Israel until the very end, and we will see it yet happen in our future. Are you with me? We've been reading all week. Ana Adonai ha'el ha'gadol v'hanorah shomer ha'brit v'ha'chesed le'ohavav v'le'shomrei mitzvotav. Daniel 9, 4 through 19. O Adonai, the great, mighty, and awesome God, guardian of the covenant and compassion to the fathers and to those who guard your commandments, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have rebelled. We have turned from your commandments and your judgments. That's 4 through 5. Now I'm jumping down to 9 through 10. And I'm translating this from the Hebrew. I didn't put the translation in there. To Adonai, our God, is mercy, mercies and forgivenesses. For we have rebelled against him. We did not listen to his voice, the voice of Yahweh, our God, to walk in his instructions. Torah to. Torah tav, I should say. Plural instructions, but the word Torah is embedded in it. We did not walk in his Torah, which he gave before us by the hand of his servants, the prophets. And I, I was lying there last night thinking about all of this because we are in the season of Teshuvah. And I was just thinking about it, you know, taking inventory of my repentance and wondering if I've gone far enough and dang it if I haven't sinned in the last 28 days. Anybody else? <laughs> and wondering, are we there? Am I, am I ever going to get there? I want to be ready. And I was going over this prayer in my mind. One hand. By the hand, one hand of his servants, the prophets. They all had the same mission. They all worked under the same power. Yad 
is not necessarily this little thing. Yad is power in this context. They all operated under the same exact power, trying to get Israel to do teshuva. And if you're being honest with the last 28 days, you know how hard it is, don't you? We know for a fact that Daniel's prayer was heard because an angel showed up, right? Gabriel showed up and said, Dude, as soon as you started praying, I was dispatched, but dadgummit, there was a fight up there, and Michael had to come and get us out of it. The mighty one who is like God, the mightiest of the angels, had to come and get Gabriel and his companions out of the scrap that was going on in the heavenlies. Daniel's prayer was heard as soon as he started praying it. I submit to you, he, pro he prayed it. I, I believe the number is 21 days that he prayed. Am I right? Does anybody else remember? I think it was 21 days. And Gabriel told him, as soon as you started praying, we were dispatched. I couldn't get here because of the war in the heavens. They didn't walk in his ways. They didn't walk in his Torah. Not, neither, and he doesn't, he doesn't lose anybody in Israel from the responsibility of the curse that had come upon them. Do you realize that's what he's saying? The oath and the curse. I read about it from the Torah and I just read it to you from Daniel. The oath and the curse that is in the Torah of Moshe has come upon us, Daniel said. Daniel has no sin attributed to him. We know he wasn't perfect, otherwise he would have been the Messiah. But however, he never did an egregious thing against God like most of the others had. Right? Ezekiel attributes greatness to Daniel and Noah and one other person yeah. in his book. Daniel remembered Jeremiah's prophecy of promise, and Ezekiel remembered Daniel's prayer and righteousness. And I saw, when I was thinking about that last night, that it was one hand, and it also was one voice. Neither have we hearkened to the voice of Yahweh or Elohim. In other words, not the voice of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and all of the prophets that had come before Daniel, it wasn't multiple voices that they needed to hear. It's one. And that's the voice of Yah. And it's written, listen to this. And this is something that I've tried to teach you guys, and I try to declare to the world, and they all reject it. God's voice is encapsulated in the Torah. The Torah calls the Torah His voice. Listen carefully to what Daniel prayed. Neither have we hearkened to the voice of Yahweh our Elohim to walk in his Torah. One hand, one voice. Daniel ministered after all of these prophets that I'm about to name. And I'm, I think I'm naming them in order. I'm pretty sure I've, I've, I checked. But this is my understanding of it, so I could be wrong. But I think I'm naming them in order. Samuel. 
which we discussed quite at length on Thursday night. Amos, Hosea, Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Jonah, and Nahum. Twelve prophets before Daniel. I don't think that's a coincidence. Twelve people during the 2,000 years for Israel. Then there's Daniel. And after Daniel comes Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And if you study those last five prophets, including Daniel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah 6. If you st study those last six guys, then you know that there is yet prophecies about Israel returning to the land. Even after, because those guys all ministered after they returned to the land. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's still before us. It hasn't happened yet. The final scattering of Israel, you all know this, and I wish you would go and look at the suggested reading chart on Devar Yahweh, all the way down at the, the table of contents page. The last thing on the table of contents is a suggested reading sequence. And look at the chart on there because it shows you the splitting of Israel and the rejoining of Israel right before the time of Daniel. And that's what the Messianic community doesn't understand, especially the Hebrew roots slash two house people. They don't understand that it is still one Israel. It is one Israel. And they will all be gathered at the same time to the same land. And there's no, you know, the Jewish people today are not the, the disgruntled older brother. We are one people. And those who trust genuinely in Messiah Yeshua have either joined themselves to Israel or they don't belong to Yeshua at all. What we read in the Torah today is only partly fulfilled. Because he hasn't gathered anyone from the uttermost parts of heaven yet. And he hasn't circumcised Israel's heart yet. We know that because we, the people of the, of the renewed covenant, understand that a circumcised heart is one that obeys the commandments. And trusts in Yeshua. That's a truly circumcised Jewish heart, whether you are Gentile or not. Right? Write it down if you haven't written it down yet and don't have it locked in your brain yet. Romans 2.29. Get it in your head. A true Jew is one who is circumcised in the heart. That has not happened yet. Only God can circumcise a heart and cause someone to actually walk his commandments. And that comes from the Torah. Deuteronomy 10. He told us, I'm going to circumcise your hearts in the future, in our portion, right? Well, in Deuteronomy 10, he tells us what, what a circumcised heart is. And now Israel, what does Yahweh your Elohim require of you? But to fear Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep for your good the mitzvot of Yahweh and his chukot. And our Christian brothers turn around and say that the Torah is a curse. And here God himself tells Moses that it's good for Israel. 
Theologians teach today that the, that the Torah was a curse to Israel, and God is saying it was good for them. Who's right? I'm sorry, I will trust God. Walk in His statutes which I command you this day. Behold, unto Yahweh your Elohim belongs the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth, and all that therein is. Only Yahweh had a delight in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed, your, their seed after them, even you, above all the peoples as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. In other words, obey my instructions. It's plain and simple. Romans 2, I just mentioned it, but I'm going to read 27 through 29. And the circumcision which fulfills the Torah naturally will condemn you. He's talking to the Jewish people, Messianic Jewish people, by the way. Do you realize that? Shaul ain't writing to the rabbis. He's writing to believing Jews in Rome. The circumcision which fulfills the Torah naturally will condemn you, while in, who while in the possession of the scriptures and circumcision transgress the Torah. You hold the Torah, you're in possession of it, and you have the covenant of circumcision, and you're doing that to your children, but you're not obeying the Torah. For it is not the one who is outwardly a Jew who is a real Jew. Neither is circumcision that, was seen as that which is seen in the flesh. But a real Jew is one who is inwardly so, and circumcision is of the heart, spiritually, and not literally. He's hearkening back to, to Deuteronomy 10. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. Israel, after returning from Babylon, fell into a second trap. The first time their trap was idolatry. They practiced the most unimaginable things during the age of those 12 prophets. They offered their children on altars of fire. They threw them in water, dashed them against the rocks. They did all kinds of disgusting things with their children, worshiping Molech and Baal and following Yezebel and, and following uh, the false kings who built false temples in the north and in the south and worshiping a, a golden calf just like their fathers did at the base of the mountain. They had done all these atrocities. And they didn't want to fall again. And just like believers are doing today, they're overcompensating. Israel overcompensated. And they said, we can't let that happen again. Let's, I have an idea. Let's not follow the Torah. Let's build a fence around it. We won't even tell our people what the commandments are. We'll tell them what to do to keep them from breaking the commandments. And they created a whole other law, which is still in effect today, which has been added to for 2,000 years. And Christianity has done the exact same thing. It's human nature. The fence around the Torah is a basic teaching of modern Judaism. They say it openly and they're proud of it. It's foundational to living life as a Jew today. It demands that all Jews surrender to the rabbis because they have more authority over the Torah than God, and they will tell you that. It's written in their liturgy. Because God surrendered to them. 
They know that the Chodesh was cited and not calculated. They know it. But they're going to have Yom Teruah on Sunday this year, I believe. Tomorrow. They know that the rabbis invented the phylacteries, the tefillin, the winding, and the box. They know that that was invented in the second century, but they'll tell you that it is law. And that's the first commandment in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, actually, which is the preface to the Talmud. That's the very first commandment that says, the sages have more authority than God to get people to start doing the tefillin. They know that the name was used throughout Israel into the second century A.D. They know it. But they tell every Jew today not to say his name. And that is so powerful a commandment of men that you can't even get most Messianic Jews to say his name. And they quibble over the pronunciation. They made new commands, and they said God submitted to them. The Catholic Church has done the exact same thing in order to justify moving all the feasts, defining, deifying Mary. I was going to say defining Mary as God. Deifying, making her a God. And that's exactly what they've done. Canonizing the saints, meaning making them holy and setting them up to be worshipped and genuflected. And the ordinary Protestant Christian, Christian does the exact same thing by saying, I know the Bible says to do it, but God knows my heart. In other words, God has to submit to my heart. Chalilah. But that's what is taught. It's basically saying, God, guess what? We're the boss. We define how to worship you. You can't tell us how to worship. And that is the mindset, even though most believers don't realize it, that pervades 99% of faith-speaking people. God has to answer to my flesh is effectively what they're telling him. That is the spirit of Mashiach HaSheker. I saw it just this morning posted by a Christian friend. He and I became friends because he shares one of my surnames from my Scottish heritage that connects me to William Wallace. And I was exciting about meeting someone from the clan. And he's a believer. And he's sound mostly in his doctrine. But obviously walking under veiled eyes that still follow other doctrines. And he posted just this morning the instruction, parentheses, law. This is him. The instruction, parentheses, law of God, drives us in despair to Christ, where our hearts are transformed by faith. We joyfully keep his instruction, his, Messiah's instruction. And that is the most duplicitous speak coming from a Christian, because they go around saying Jesus is God, but that the commandments are not his. They belong to that other God. In the, do you hear that? That's exactly what he's saying. That other God had a set of commandments, but this Jesus, you know, God Jr. has his own. And so they split God right down the middle because God is one. God, Jesus' law is different and it's not burdensome. That's what they teach. When 
The truth is, we are supposed to carry the exact same burden as Messiah. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke was the Torah. He had to obey the Torah perfectly in order to be the Messiah. His yoke was the Torah. Take it upon you. It's easy and it's light. I'm going to prove that in a minute too. He was speaking about the Torah because he is Yahweh in the flesh. There is only one Torah. I'm going to go back because I realized this when we read the Brik Hadashah portion. What shall we say then that the Goyim who follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness? That is the righteousness which is the result of trust. But Israel who who followed after the Torah of righteousness has not attained to the Torah of righteousness. Why? Because it was not sought by it, the Torah was not sought by faith, but by the works of the Torah. So they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Paul is saying that the Torah is the stumbling stone. Am I right? In this context, what I just read, Paul is saying that the Torah is the stumbling stone because in he, he goes on, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, but whoever trusts in him shall not be ashamed. And of course, Paul in another place very, very adeptly clears it up and says Messiah is the stumbling stone. Right? Torah is Messiah. Torah is the word. The word became flesh. Right? And the Torah says, and when a stranger shall sojourn with you and will keep the Pesach, this is in Exodus chapter 12. When a stranger shall sojourn with you and will keep the Pesach unto Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One Torah shall be to him that is homeborn and to the stranger who sojourns among you. So what the Christian community is teaching is that the Jews have that Torah and we, the Gentiles who believe in Yah, have another Torah. That's a violation. Paul wrote in our portion this week, but the righteousness which is of trust says this, do not say in your heart, who has ascended to heaven and brought Mashiach down to the earth? And who has descended into the abyss of Sheol and brought up Mashiach from the house of the dead? But what does it say? Hadavar, the word, is near to you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the Varha Emunah, which we declare. So Paul is quoting the Torah when it says, the word is near to you, even in your mouth and in your heart. The Torah says that. And I'm about to read and show you that when it says that, it says, it is not difficult for you to keep. Hadavar is near to you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we declare. Word of faith people say, it's abracadabra that we declare. So you name it, claim it. If you believe it, you say it, you get it. That's what, that's what they're using that phrase to teach. But what Paul is saying is, we're declaring the Torah of righteousness. And if you read the whole of Romans, you finally see that if you can read, keeping it in context. You see it. 
But what happens? People put on the glasses of preconception that they were issued when they went to church the first time, and they believe it for the rest of their lives. They don't read the word for what God is trying to say to them. The Torah is Hadavar, the word of God. And that word became a body, the human being named Yeshua, who lived the Torah perfectly. He taught it, and he expects us to walk the same way he did. Paul was quoting these words. For this mitzvah, which I command you this day, it is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall go up us, for us to heaven and bring it down to us and make us to hear it that we may do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us and make us to hear it that we may do it. But Hadavar, this is straight out of the Torah. Paul is quoting it. Hadavar, the word is very nigh unto you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Hadavar, the word is the Torah. It's the foundation of the book. You can't read Joshua through Revelation and understand it unless you have the Torah. Man has come along and said, it's impossible to keep the Torah. Yeshua came along and kept it, and Paul writes, I can do all things through Mashiach who strengthens me. Christians say it's impossible to keep the Torah, Paul says, I can do everything through Messiah who strengthens me. And that's exactly the purpose of Messiah's coming is to give us the Ruach HaKodesh, the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, so that we can overcome. Incidentally, I have been praying Nitzachon, victory, overcoming, for myself and my family, on every level, and for all of you guys. And it dawned on me this morning, Lam That's the psalm we just read, Psalm 81. Lam And it's translated, and it's not wrong, translated this way for the leader, because victory is Nitzachon, and a leader in that context is Natsach, and it's the same root word. For the overcomer, because I was trying to come up, what the, what made me dawn on that is, I was sitting there thinking, okay, Nitzchon is victory. What is, what is uh, overcomer or victor? What is that? And I know that you put a mem in front of verbs to make certain, or a tav or certain other letters in front of a verb to make it a noun, and the mem popped in my head, and then that word lam holy moly, there it is, menatzech is an overcomer. And so our psalm today, at the end of praying Teshuva, is for the overcomer. Do you see that? It's impossible to keep, though. Some of the most important and precious Christian hymns that I still appreciate and sing occasionally speak of the strength of Messiah who has given us power to overcome sin. And they're right. They don't sing them anymore. And that's probably why faith is in such a mess in this country because they've gone away from sound doctrine. At least they used to believe that God gave you power over sin and that you could conquer it. 
problem is they don't understand what sin is. Sin is breaking Torah, 1 John 3, 4. And that's at the most basic peshat level of that verse. In the Greek, if you have to have it in Greek, you can't even get any, it's actually a little bit clearer in the Greek. Ah, nomos. Sin is being outside of Torah. That's such an easy concept to understand that for hundreds of years in this country, we had the Ten Commandments plastered on the walls. We had them on the classrooms of all of our schoolrooms because children could understand the Ten Commandments and the concept that God helps you overcome your, your evil inclinations. I guess they thought we were wasting our time, and so they took them down, and now kids have no power over their evil inclinations. None whatsoever. We have raised a generation of misfits who are following their baser instincts and not God. The problem is the duplicity of man-made interpretation made the Torah weak. It's man who has come along and given power to sin. Our Jewish people abrogated the Torah for the traditions of the elders, and Yeshua proves that. Scribes and Pharisees ask him, Why do your Talmudim not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with their hands unwashed? That is a command you cannot find in the Torah. Wash your hands before you eat. It is not in there. Christians think that it is. Jewish people know it's not. They know it's in the Talmud. They agree with it in the Talmud because they think the rabbis have replaced the Torah. And Yeshua was, let me just go on. He said to them, Yeshua said to them, The prophet Isaiah well prophesied about you, O hypocrites, as it is written. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And they worship me in vain when they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. Their hearts are far away from me. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and walk after my commandments. Your, their hearts are far away. They're, they did not have circumcised hearts. Moses' prophecy has not been fulfilled. Daniel's prophecy in prayer has not been answered. Are you with me? They worship me in vain when they teach us doctrines, the commandments of men. And Yeshua goes on and says, For you have ignored the commandment of God, and you observe the tradition of men, such as the washing of cups and pots and a great many other things like these, and even more now in our Jewish circles, and even more now in our Christian circles. You can do this, this, and this, and this. You can do that all day long in Christianity, but by gosh, don't do this. And none of it comes out of the Torah. It's the same thing. Our Christian people have abrogated the Torah for the tradition of the popes. I'm quoting from the Catholic Encyclopedia. After Constantine made the legal decree about the change of the Sabbath, the Catholic Church confirmed his act in one church council after another. The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath, or seventh day of the week, to the first, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day kept holy as the Lord's day. That's out of the mouth of the Catholics. And Constantine, what he said was, let us no longer worship as that odious people, the Jews. Let us from henceforth keep that glorious day of soul invictus. 
the God that he continued to worship for the rest of his life. Son, that's whose soul, the mighty son, the unconquerable son, Sunday. And all Protestants still follow most of the papal decrees concerning when to worship. They keep Sunday as the Sabbath. They keep Christmas as the, the birth of, of Jesus. They keep Easter as his resurrection and not the Passover. They follow the popes. They've already separated. We've already seen that they've separated Jesus from the Father and booted the Father off the throne. Our season of repentance should have us in sorrow over these things. That's why we prayed Daniel 9. Daniel was one man. Out of all the Israelites praying in Babylon, Daniel was one man praying that prayer. There's no indication that anyone else prayed it with him. But his heart was sincere. And he brought angels down from heaven through a war. And I have to believe that if we get sincere about it, that we, we may not get what Daniel got, but we have something more precious, and that is the very presence of the Ruach HaKodesh. And that's our desire, is to not, not to bring angels to us, but to bring the Ruach HaKodesh out of us and make our light brighter. And that's more powerful, that's more precious than what Daniel experienced. Even though, yes, I would love to see angels. Guess what? I'm going to see millions of them in a very short time. I will see my angels someday. You know, I'll meet the guy that has had the, the nasty job of having to try to watch over me <laughs> and save me from all the junk that I did, all the dangers I put myself in. I, I kid you not, something stopped me twice from going off into a deep ravine at 60 miles an hour, once in snow and once in ice. And I have no other explanation because there was nothing there to stop me. Sorry, dude, I didn't mean to make you stop a darn truck. <laughs> are you with me it's not a joke I can't prove it but you can't disprove it if the community of faith persists in its downward spiral in our country without actually doing teshuva then what fell on Israel will fall on us it fell on Daniel he ended up being a servant in Babylon. What's been in my mind repeatedly this week, what I've been meditating over is that individuals and countries can, be, can become so recalcitrant toward repentance. In other words, having a hard heart toward repentance, that they will not repent, no matter what God does. Israel got that way. Canaan got that way. Babylon got that way. Nineveh got that way. Sodom and Gomorrah got that way. Individuals got that way in the Bible, where they were beyond repentance. Jezebel was promised that the dogs would lick her blood, and they did. They cannot do teshuva. They cannot. Especially when teshuva, repentance, is not being rightly declared. I once saw a prominent evangelist recently post something of this manner. I can't. I don't. I couldn't find the exact quote, 
but this is as close as I could remember it, what he said, because it broke my heart when I saw it. Repent and believe means that you believe Jesus is God and he forgives you of all your sins. That's the definition of repentance that is going around out there. And the scriptures tell us exactly what repentance is in multiple places. But I'm reading from Ezekiel again. When the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he has committed and does justice and righteousness, he shall save his soul alive. That is repentance. Because he considers and turns away from all his transgressions that he has committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet says the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, is it my ways that are not equal? Is it not your ways that are unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says Adonai Yahweh. Return, that's the word, teshuva. Shuvu, he says, which is the root word of the noun teshuva. Turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so shall they not be a stumbling block. Hello, have we seen that word already twice today? Of iniquity unto you. The Torah, if you turn around toward God, the Torah will not be a stumbling block. Do you see it? Of iniquity unto you. Cast away from all your transgressions. Cast away from you all your transgressions wherein you have transgressed and make a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That is a picture of being born again. And that is what Yeshua was teaching when he talked to Nicodemus about being born again, is turning around and listening to God. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was so far away from God, he couldn't even recognize the Messiah. Whereas these fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors could. Ezekiel says in another place, and I will give them one heart, Israel, one heart, and I will put a new spirit. And this is after Daniel, by the way. It's after Daniel. I will remove the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And this, that's quoted in the New Testament, and I hear it from preachers. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And they turn it into this big gooey thing that, that doesn't need God's commandments. But look at what he says about that. I'm going to give them a heart of flesh so they can walk in, can walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. It's a prophecy about God giving us the Ruach HaKodesh to give us power not to break the Torah. Christianity has abrogated the Torah, and thus, most Christians don't have power over sin. That's why fornication is rampant and has been for the last 40 years in Christianity. Adultery is rampant. It's rampant. Divorce is rampant. In the, in the community of faith, there ought to be 1% divorce, if that. The nation, India has a very low divorce rate, and they're pagans. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Can't nobody handle that law? <laughs> it's hypocrisy. Yeshua came to be executed for us, rise from the dead, give us his spirit so that we could do teshuva. 
and he came to preach repentance. Teshuva, the season that we have been in for the last close to 30 days. Mark 1, he said to them, no, this is from our portion, Luke 24. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you when I was with you, that everything must be fulfilled, which is written in the Torah of Moshe, and in the Nevi'im, and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened the eyes of their minds to understand the scriptures. And he goes on and it says, and he said to them, thus it is written, and it was right. The scriptures were correct. The Messiah should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Find that in the Torah. I challenge you. It's in there. In the scriptures. I'll give you the broad brush of Genesis to Malachi. Find it. Because Yeshua just said it's in there. Most Christians can't find it. Don't want to admit it's in there. Don't know, the, don't know that side of the book at all. And that teshuva, this is Yeshua going on, and that teshuva, repentance, should be declared in his name. The scriptures say that repentance should be declared in the name of the Messiah. For the forgiveness of sins among all nations in the beginning will be from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I will send you upon I will send upon you the promise of my Father, but remain in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, and that is the power not to sin. His power is most effectively demonstrated through repentance. And all these, all these prophets going around wanting miracles and displaying miracles and, and doing things that seem in the eyes of a lot of believers to be genuine miracles. And some of them probably are because I have experienced miracles in Christian settings, so I don't deny them. But miracles do not a man make. False prophets will do miracles. Fake preachers will do miracles under another anointing. And I've seen it many times that people get healed temporarily and then get worse sick than they were. Anybody else ever seen that? I've seen it. That's because it wasn't God who healed them. If God heals you, it's done, it's finished, it's over. You don't need a second opinion. His power is most effectively demonstrated through repentance. You guys know this. Getting a person to the point of genuine repentance toward God is difficult, especially your own stony head. Right? Why are you getting frustrated with the people you've been preaching to? You just like them. It's the truth. Because we have to do it through the Ruach HaKodesh with the compassion of God, understanding that we're just like the person we're talking to. We ain't no better than them. Most people come at them from the I'm so righteous, you need to be like me attitude. And that doesn't save anybody. It either makes them twice a son of hell or it drives them away from God. Pretty soon, Hasatan will be deceiving millions through miracles and signs and wonders. That's why miracles do not entice me anymore. I've had powerful miracles done in my life in the privacy of our own home and one or two in public, and they do not entice me anymore. I'm not impressed by parlor tricks. God is not, it, it does not 
wear God out to have to do miracles. It's chump change to God. Miracles are chump change. Look at his universe, for Pete's sake. These little tiny miracles, these things that are happening around here, somebody getting healed of a cold or, or a broken arm. And Shelby's broken arm was healed. I'll just say that. And Melanie had pleurisy that was healed. I had strep throat that was healed on the spot. We've seen it. It's chump change to God. Repentance is the miracle we need to be praying for. And people are going to be deceived by that. In droves, the whole world will, will soon be deceived by miracles and signs and wonders. By a false prophet who will claim to be Jesus and most of the world will believe him. He'll claim to be Buddha and most of the world will believe him. He'll claim to be Muhammad and most of the world will believe him. Or not Muhammad, but the imam or whatever they're expecting. He'll exalt himself above everything that is called God. And the whole world will believe him. And it's not until then that all of Israel will be saved because he will make a mistake in Israel and open the eyes of the Jewish people and hopefully millions of others around the nations that will see it too. But for the most part, the whole world is going to follow him. And I don't believe that those of us who truly believe in Yeshua can be here when that happens because we would expose him. Catholic friend posted this morning that, that many evangelicals are returning to Catholicism, and it's true. And, and Hollywood has started glamorizing Catholicism. We just watched a movie the other day that was very, it painted Catholicism in a very, in a wonderful light. It really did. And it's, it's, it's two well-known stars were in it. And it's going that way. And for some reason, I've never seen it before in my life, but the Catholic Church is preaching like they never have. And they are enticing evangelicals to that faith. They're embedding them deeper into false doctrine. You all know it. Interfaith stuff is on the uptick. And more and more churches are agreeing to just come together and let's just love each other. Nothing wrong with love. There's something wrong with compromise. Religions are submitting to globalist elites in hope of a false peace. That's why Paul said, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them because the religions of the world today are getting together right now as we speak, trying to unify all the religions of the world. Islam, Catholicism, and Judaism are building one church, a physical building where they can all worship together in the hope of unifying all people of faith under one umbrella. Homie, don't play that. I don't want any part of it. Protestants in America say they won't comply, but they've already bowed to the COVID scam, the deity of one world. They've already bowed to it. I was shocked. Me and Melanie were shocked just in our neighborhood at the, at the number of people who just blindly submitted to the COVID scam and then to the vax. Shocked. And everybody else is shocked that I didn't follow it. 
The next scam will probably come around election time, and most believers will just follow along. Maybe so. We're so close to the end. Israel, I don't know if you saw this, Israel has verbally agreed to a two-state solution at the UN General Assembly this week. The Prime Minister of Israel stood there and agreed to it. Russia called up hundreds of thousands of reserve troops to increase the attack on Ukraine. They are now holding access to both of those seas. I, can't, I, can't, I know the Black Sea is one of them, but there's another small one. Aspian Sea that, that Russia now holds access to, and that's what they wanted. I told somebody, I told my class, and I've told somebody in here, they wanted access to that sea. They need it. China is threatening its neighbors just about every day. The Sunni and Shia conflicts are rising up in Iran. That's the one I'm really curious about. Most people are not paying much attention to that. No prophets are paying much attention to Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and all that's going on. And that's the one I watch. Because that's where it's happening. Earthquakes are popping up just about every day. Most people don't know it. Mexico had an earthquake just last week. Pretty good-sized one. Uh, I saw two or three, and I don't look for them. They just I happen to see them. There's a lot going on right now. And the most gracious thing that we can do is to preach Teshuvah. Messiah started his ministry this way. Yeshua came to the Galil declaring the gospel of the kingdom of Elohim, the good news, the Besorah of Malchuta Elohim, saying, the time has come to an end, and Malchuta Elohim, the kingdom of God, is at hand. Repent and trust in the gospel, not Trust in the gospel as repentance. Repent and trust in the gospel. Repentance will bring the bridegroom. In our Haftarah portion, for as a young man espouses a virgin, so shall your sons espouse you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your Elohim rejoice over you. I have set watchmen upon the walls, O Jerusalem, that they may never be silent day nor night. You that are the remembrancers of Yahweh, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That's us, the remembrancers of Yahweh. It could be limited to just those who actually say his name. I don't know. And he goes on and says, For the sake of Zion I will not be silent. For the sake of Jerusalem I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her Yeshua as a torch that burns. Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall call them Am Kadosh, the redeemed of Yahweh. And you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. And on the heels of that beautiful promise, all of that is in our Isaiah portion. On the heels of that beautiful promise is this. Right behind it of the promise of salvation is this. Who is this that comes from Edom? With crimson garments from Botsra. This that is glorious in his apparel, stately in his greatness of his strength. 
And then it flips to the one that he's talking to. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his that treads in the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone, so the guy who's drenched in blood answers him. I have trodden in the winepress alone, and of the peoples there was no man with me. Yes, I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my fury, and their lifeblood is dashed against my garments, and I have stained all my raiment, my clothing. For the day of vengeance that was in my heart and my year of redemption are come. The day of vengeance and the year of redemption happen at the same time on Yom Teruah. Yeshua held his breath. And I just think that he had to hold his excitement in when he was standing in the synagogue and to stop and not say in Isaiah 61, the day of the vengeance of our God. He didn't say that. He put that off until his return. If you don't know it, this is a picture of Messiah returning to earth because it's fulfilled in Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22 when he's got blood on his clothing there. Yeshua is not coming back to be everybody's surfing buddy. He's coming back to avenge the earth of its wickedness. And those who reject him, unfortunately, will suffer. So we beseech you as helpers that the compassion of God which you have received may not be in vain among you. For he said, I have answered you in an acceptable time. I have helped you on the day of Yeshua. This is from 2 Corinthians 6. Behold, now is the acceptable time. And behold, now is the day of Yeshua. Give no occasion for offense to anyone in anything so that there may be there be no blemish in our ministry. But in all things, let us show ourselves to be the ministers of Elohim in much suffering, in tribulations, in necessities or needs, in imprisonment, in scourgings, in bonds, in tumults, in toilings, in vigils, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Ruach HaKodesh, by sincere love, by the Devar Emet, the true word, by the power of Elohim, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, and by honor and dishonor, by praise and reproach as deceivers and yet true. In other words, they think we're lying, but we're telling them the truth as unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold, we live as chastened and not dying, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. That's our commission going forward for the time that we live in because it's coming. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with Shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.